Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Sermons podcast. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.crossroadstw.org. Well, it's great to be with you guys today. We're in the book of 1 Peter. We're in a sermon series called Hope. Uh, Peter's writing to a group of people that needed some encouragement, needed hope. They live in a very hostile environment. Nero was the leader at that time, and uh, they, they needed some help. They needed some hope, and we find our hope. They found their hope in the personhood of Jesus Christ. So I want you to open your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 2. Our main emphasis today will be verses 11 and 12, uh, primarily verse 11. I'm using verse 12 as somewhat of a, of a bridge verse, sort of of today's message, but also really clears the path for where we're going to go over the next couple of weeks because there's some pretty challenging um, subjects that, that we're, we're going to talk about. Um, <clears throat> so... Um, I I, uh, I did something. I'm ashamed to tell you. I have uh, a great sin in my life. I for 40 years, for 40 years, I go to my study at six o'clock on Saturday nights, and at um, nine o'clock I go to bed. Six to nine. Well, I went to bed at nine o'clock, but uh, Mrs. Jose Altuve Jr. sleeps with me. <laughs> and let me tell you how chipper she is today. As we were singing that last song, I looked over at the clock and I said, Honey, I've only got 20 minutes to preach. And she said, well, I've never stopped you before. It's tough. It's tough living at house, the house. Well, it wasn't. It was exciting. You know, there's reason to be excited. Uh, I mean, I, I think the Bible is about excitement and joy. So I have no problem if you want to talk about the Astros, talk about Jesus. Obviously, a lot more. But there's no problem having fun. I think fun begins in Christ. I think there's a lot of laughter, a lot of joy, and and uh, I think they're a pretty class act group of guys. Uh, nobody seemed to throw anything from the stands or uh, say some words to any of our player or their players. So I'm I'm sort of pleased uh, with that. I, I think I think highly of uh, of of the Astros, and uh, I'm sure they're not all uh, saints, but we can pray they could be. You know, wouldn't that be great? That'd be great. They all in preaching in pulpits today, telling people about Jesus, because you know that, they'll draw an active crowd. People. Would, flock to come and see them. So that's all. That's good. That's good stuff. So um, I want to start this morning. I want to start today's message. Um, and Vicky's right. I do only 20 minutes, but uh, it's never stopped me before. So I want to begin the sermon today. I, I am going to sort of try to move through here. So I want you to listen quickly uh, today with me. I want to start with a question. So how would you answer this question? Are you ready? How would you answer this, this question? Why, why does a Christian, why do you who claim to know Christ, okay? So why do you who claim to know Christ, why, why 
do Christians say no to sin? Now, again, I'm, I'm not assuming that anybody in here walks on water, but I'm also assuming that if you are in a relationship with Christ, that it's not your highest objective and goal to go out and sin today. So why, why do Christians say no to sin? I mean, answers uh, could be varied. It could be something like, you know, well, sin is, sin is wrong or, or, you know, sin hurts God or because God is holy and, and I'm supposed to live a holy life. And if those were your answers, every single one of those would be right. But what I want you to see this morning in our text is that, is that Peter actually drills down a little deeper and begins to uncover layer by layer the root the root of why Christians would say no to sin and why Christians would, would want to live, would want to walk in holiness as God is holy. Primarily, there are two reasons in verse 11 and verse 12. I'm going to give you the verse 12 answer first, and I'm just going to speak briefly, briefly on it. You got your Bibles open, right? So he says in verse 11 and 12, beloved, very, very, um, Peter, Peter loves these people. It's very affectionate, very affectionate. I urge you as sojourners and exiles, strangers and aliens in IV, I think. I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh from fleshly desires, which wage war against your soul. Now watch verse 12, because this is, this is a reason why Christians say no to sin. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. Gentiles there meaning people who are pagan, who are lost, who don't have anything to do with Jesus. Keep your conduct, how you live your life. It matters how you live your life, by the way. Keep your conduct among lost people honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, and they do, I mean, we see that in our culture today. You Christians, you know, you're right-wing fundamentalists, you hate, blah, blah, blah. You know, so we get criticized, but watch this. As they, as they are doing that, they may see your good deeds and do what? What does it say? Glorify God on the day of visitation. I'm going to use verse 12, as I said a moment ago, uh, over, the next, over the next couple of weeks. But I want to give you, uh, very quickly, the, the verse 12 reason why Christians say no to sin and yes to a lifestyle of holiness. Because the world is watching... And it really matters how you live your life. It really does. And so we choose to say no to sin because if we don't, it will always, hear this, it will always minimize or belittle the glory, the greatness, the awe the affection that we are to have 
for God. Best little example I can give you. When I was a young boy, temper, I've told you that before. I'll actually share a story of it in my sermon in just a few moments. But um, I think I, it was Little League, and um, I think maybe I struck out, and I think I threw my bat. <laughs> I think. I did. And um, I found out that this man said to my dad, is that your son? You see, I minimized the, the goodness of my father. And when I choose to live an unholy life, I minimize, I belittle the good name of God. Does that make sense? You got it? Okay, so that, that'll actually be a bridge for the, next, for the next few weeks. But the main answer that I want us to camp out on this morning is this one. So why does a Christian say no to sin? Peter digs deep and he says this, and we're going to see it in verse 11. It's going to jump out all over the page. He says, because it's not who you are anymore. It's not who you are anymore. In light, in light of your new identity, and my heart breaks that if you weren't here last Sunday to hear Sean Darius, he hit it further than Altuve did. He knocked it out of the park, and he was so biblically clear in his exposition on our identity. He did an excellent job of setting up where I'm going today. He reminded us of who we are in Jesus Christ, this, this new identity that we received when we came into a relationship, when we put our faith, when we put our trust in Jesus. And, and this new identity is so much more than the identity that, that we found in our jobs or we found in our bank accounts or we, or we found in our, in our personalities or we found in our uh, intellect or, or even in our looks. We have a new reality that defines us as Christians. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to go back to verse 9. And there's a reason. There's a reason. Because when we, when we really grasp hold of this new identity, it will help us understand so much more clearly of why we say no to sin and say yes to holy living. So we pick up with verse 9. It's probably not going to be on the screen. So hopefully you're looking at your Bible. So he's, he's telling us. He's, he's telling us our identity. He's showing us who we are in this new found faith. He says, but you... Remember, he's writing to some people that are discouraged, live in a very hostile environment towards Christianity. It would have been easy to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become like everybody else so I don't get crucified or beat up or lose my job. Because there, there's only two choices 
when you live in a, when you, when you're passing through and you live in a culture that is not a Christian culture, you can either give in, you can adopt, you can adopt to their way of life, which probably is not the best way, or you can learn to stand in your new identity. So look what he says. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That's good. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Now watch this. This is huge for us to understand why we say no to sin. Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of what? Out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you didn't have mercy, but now you have received mercy. Okay? Now, in other words, our identity now will determine our behavior. It always does. Identity, who you are, always flows into our behavior. So now look what he says in verse 11. So beloved, I urge you, sojourners, Exiles just means visitors. We're just walking through. We're just visiting this planet Earth. This isn't our eternal home, right? Right? Okay, just want to make sure because sometimes we act like it is. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war in your soul. Ooh, do they? I want to go back to a little section in verse 9. Please hang with me for a few moments. Would you please? Okay, thank you. Because if, if you can get this, if you can understand this, it will be freeing a feeling like Sin wins the victory because, because of your identity, because of who you are. Did you know, did you know that Christ has given you the ability and the desire in your heart to say no to sin and yes to holiness. Look what he says in that little section of verse 9. So he, he says all this, you're a chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation. And then watch, watch what he does at the end. He says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Shandir did a great job of explaining that. And watch this. Who called you, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So what Peter's doing here, church, 
He's talking about your identity. But before you received Jesus Christ, before you came into this relationship, you are defined, your identity was that you walked in darkness. Your identity pre-Jesus days was darkness. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, the Bible talks over and over and over and over and over again about our identity before Christ, about, about darkness, about people walking in darkness. I think of, of John chapter 12, verse 46. Jesus said, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain not what? Say remain. Remain in darkness. In other words, Jesus says, I came so you wouldn't stay in darkness. Before you were saved, you were in a state of darkness. What does that mean? What does that mean? Very quickly, two things. Here's what it means to be in a state of darkness. Number one, intellectually intellectual darkness. There was a time before Christ that you were in intellectual darkness, which meant there was a time that you could not, you didn't have the capability or the ability to understand the truth of God's word. The Bible made no sense to you. How many times have you talked with people that say, you know what, I've read it, I've read it, and it does not make any sense to me. And then they'll say, but you know what? There was this time when, when I went to camp or, 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 or Mark's class came over and did three circles with me. And all of a sudden, it made sense. It began to make sense. You see, a person that is walking in darkness does not have the ability to comprehend or to understand the truth of God's word. But God in his mercy, and this is the good news for you and me, God in his mercy brought you out of darkness and he brought you into his marvelous light. Not by your good works or your good deeds or because you're better, smarter, richer or anything like that, but only because of his mercy. You get it? Because of his great mercy. You know, right here, dear friends, this is an incredible test, or you might say it's, a, it's, it's really evidence of whether you are saved or not. Oh, he's going to give me some evidence that I'm really saved because I've struggled with that. Am I saved? Am I not saved? Well, the question is, when you read the Bible, does it make any sense whatsoever to you? Because in darkness, it doesn't. But, but look at the second thing, and that'll help answer that question. Not only are you walking in darkness intellectually, but you're walking in darkness morally, morally. Before Jesus Christ saved you, not only did you live, not only did you walk in darkness, but you, hear me, but you didn't even have the ability or desire to 
Honor God, walk in holiness because he is holy. You did not have the ability to obey God. Now, I ask that question again. What is the evidence of salvation? I think, I think it's clear from the scripture. This isn't made up Larry stuff. This is not some book that I read. This is biblical. I think it is evidence of your salvation. If you read scripture, and some of it's really hard. I mean, I, it's tough. But it begins to make sense because the moment you came to Christ, he brought you out of intellectual and moral darkness into his marvelous light. Some of you just sitting there. Do you believe me? You think this is real? And another question is, if you don't even have the ability and don't even have the desire to walk in holiness, that is evidence you, you're still in darkness and you're not in this marvelous light. A side note, there was a time in my life when, um, when lost people just did stupid sins that I became incredibly impatient. Do you know what this teaches me? Instead, instead of anger, we ought to treat lost people like Jesus did with compassion. Because if you're in darkness, you don't have the ability. You don't have the ability, the capability, or the understanding to live a holy life. So there ought to be this expectation that lost people act like lost people, but saved people ought to act like saved people. So watch this. Now watch this. Watch where he's going. So before Christ, you were in darkness, didn't have the intellectual ability to make sense of God's word and God's truths, and you didn't even have the desire to walk in holiness. But, dear friends, in light of your new identity and that, and that Christ has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, you now... You now have the ability, and not only the ability, but you have the desire to say no to sin, to walk in holiness, and to obey God. Okay? Isn't that good? Isn't this good stuff? It can be very freeing for people in here today that, that feel like they're just living in bondage of sin. I can't get out of it. I'm just living in sin. Because look what he says there in verse 11. So here's the, here's the big idea. Here's the big picture. He says, beloved, as aliens and strangers, I urge you to abstain. Stop. Say no. I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Now watch this. Watch this. This is so good. Because of your new identity in Christ, 
And because he has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, according to the word of God, you now have the ability to understand the truths of God's word and you have the desires to walk in holiness. How about that? Okay. So what does this mean? What does this look like? Larry, you're sort of scaring me here today. I get it. I scare myself. Let me tell you, first of all, what verse 11, it doesn't mean that you won't step in to sin. It doesn't mean that you are perfect. Because the reality is we still live in the flesh. The second thing out of this verse 11 that's very important for us to grasp hold of because some of you could have already checked out when I read the verse, and that is that the passions of the flesh or fleshly desires, they they don't just mean sensual or sexual sins because I know that, that that's what we hear about every day. That's what we see every day. It's, it's, it's such a major part of our culture. And so you might be reading this and say, oh, the fleshly desires. Well, I don't, I don't really struggle with, with sexual sin, so I'm going to think more about the Astros game on Tuesday night. No, 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 no. You see, there is such a wide, such a wide smorgasbord of fleshly desires. Galatians chapter 5 Let me share with you now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, there's that one, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, putting something else above God, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. Wait, I'm going to erase that one. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Friends, Those are the desires of the flesh that wage war in our life. Let me tell you about mine, my besetting sin. Besetting means this area isn't totally sanctified yet, and it's anger. God's done a great work, as I've shared with you. I have not thrown my family's luggage off the Rocky Mountains in 17 years. (laughs) But let me tell you where where anger manifests itself in me when I'm driving. Oh, I just hit a hot button. I, I I am ready to pass legislation that all cars must be made of Nerf, you know? So I live just a stone's throw from Research Force. I mean, Indy 500. And when I get in my car, there is that fleshly desire to want to act like an idiot, like others. You know, we... um, we're on our trip recently. 
from Colorado Springs to 43 miles north of Denver on Interstate 25, hell has to be smoother than that. We got to our campground that night in Fort Collins, and I looked on my phone, and, and uh, I probably didn't have the right attitude, but it said that there had been a nine-car pileup on southbound I-25, and I'm like, duh. I've never, I've never seen anything like that. So what's yours? What's yours? You see, Peter is saying, you have this new identity and you have this ability and desire to say no, Larry, to say no. But you still have to get, to, hear me, but you still have to get to that place where where you do exactly what it says, and that is to abstain, to get away from that area that is waging war with your soul. This is serious business. Sometimes I make things cute. Probably shouldn't as much, but this is actually incredibly serious business for a believer. And even so much more for somebody who thinks they're a believer, but they're not. Who might say, well, you know, we all sin and just let it ride. But because you are a chosen race, because you are a royal priesthood, because you have been given mercy, because you have been brought from darkness to light, you have the ability to say no to sin and yes to holiness. That's what Peter is saying. It's really important to see, and I'm going to try to wrap this up. It's really important to see what Peter calls us in verse 11. You know, he's called us a chosen race, royal priesthood, etc., etc., and in verse 11, he calls us sojourners and exiles or aliens and strangers. The words are, are synonyms. They're basically the same. And what they mean simply is this. We are visitors. Today, you and I on planet Earth, we are visiting we are walking, we are walking through planet Earth with an awareness that we are going to a permanent home that is better and more peaceful. Okay? But now hear me. But when you go into a new culture where you are not a citizen, there are things that they do that is not a part of your identity. And you have to make a choice. Am I going to adopt, even though I'm just walking through? Even though I'm just going there for a season, am I going to adopt that lifestyle? And remember, we're just passing through. Am I going to adopt that lifestyle or will I stand in my new identity in Christ? Let me give you a, just a, a quick, quick 
illustration or story. Um, I think our girls were ninth grade and seventh grade, but Vicky and I were invited to go to, uh, to Uganda, and I'd been asked to preach a youth camp uh, there. And um, it was the first youth camp that ever had in Uganda. And there was a student, and a student was anybody from the age 12 to 35, and they could bring their kids, but uh, to King's College in Kampala, and there's in every tribe, I think there were 368 tribes in Uganda, something around there, and there was a student invited. Their way was paid, et cetera, et cetera. Some took weeks to get there on bicycles because they were up in the Karamajong people up around Sudan, and they had to bicycle down, hitchhike, however. It was this crazy story. But some of you already know this about me, but I'm a real stickler on... Um, on starting on time. Probably not as good on quitting on time, but starting on time is a real pet peeve of mine. And when, when um, I, I just like to be on time. In fact, um, it's, it's just a part of my culture. Um, uh, we have two cars uh, because I, I'm like an hour early. I just, that's the way I always am. I'm just early. Well, so the service, first night, you know, all the students are going to gather in the auditorium there, and the service was to begin at 6 o'clock. And I got there at 5. And I was there at 6. And I was there at 6.30. And I was there at 7. And finally, at 7.30, people started coming for the 6 o'clock service. And I got to tell you, that just really you know, irritated me. And so I talked with Anthony, who was our missionary there at the time. I said, Anthony, you know, that's not this starts, supposed to start at 6. They weren't even coming until 7.30. He said, Larry, you're going to have to chill out because this is just their culture. And so I'm like, okay, well, you know, probably tomorrow night. Second night's going gonna, gonna to be better. So, yeah, well, it really wasn't that funny, Ian. But... <laughs> I mean, it's like 8 o'clock now that they're, because they're getting to know one another, and clocks don't, well, they didn't have watches. Only us, you know, we like clocks and watches. And, and, uh, and I, I was irritated. I, I was irritated. I mean, I came up with all these evil plans <laughs> that I would just start preaching at 6, and when I was finished, I was finished, and they came in, and it was over with, it was over with. But my dear, precious, godly bride calmed me down and uh, everything was okay. But I can tell you, this is important, but I can tell you what I didn't do. What I didn't do was show up at 8 o'clock and adopt their culture to say, I can show you. I can play that game. No, I didn't do that because that's not who I am. Let's bring this together, Rocky. So friends, you have a choice. You can see these things on planet Earth, that we're only here for 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. We're passing through. We're just visitors. You can see these things that drive you crazy or bother you. And you have one of two choices, to adopt 
the culture in which you're passing through or to stand firm in your identity. So let me wrap this up. Here's what Peter's saying. You're a chosen race. You're handpicked by God. You're a royal priesthood. You will reign with Christ forever face to face. Isn't that cool? I don't think we think about that one much. You have received God's mercy. You have been brought or called out of darkness into his marvelous light. You have been given the ability to say no to sin and yes to walking in holiness. And you are just a visitor passing through. So when he says in verse 11, abstain from fleshly desires, say no to sin, do you want to know why you are to say no to sin and to walk in holiness? Not just because it's wrong. Not just because you're keeping a list of do's and don'ts, but you Say no to sin because that's not who you are anymore. It's not who you are. Someone comes up to you and asks you, why don't you lie? Why don't you steal? Why don't you cheat on your taxes? Why don't you cheat on your, on your spouse? Why is your language, language different? Why don't you treat your employees like everybody else does? Why do you say no to sin, in other words? The most biblical answer is simply this, because that's not who I am anymore. So you got an answer? You got your answer? Why do you not live a life of sin? Because that's not who I am anymore. Because reality is if you, I mean, it doesn't mean you're not going to sin. But when you step into sin, you will be uncomfortable and miserable and you will not feel at home because that's not who you are. I think that's what Jesus meant in the story of the prodigal son. The son asked the dad, or he said, I wish you were dead, basically, give me my inheritance. He runs off, and he sins like crazy. And he starts smelling like a pig. And the Bible says that he came to his senses. That's you. And he remembered what life was like 
at home where he belonged. Friends, all of us have our moments where we step in to sin. But if you are a son or a daughter of King Jesus, you will not stay there because it's not who you are. So this morning in this room, there are four types of people. Number one, those of you that aren't struggling with fleshly desires and, and you're, uh, you can only thank and praise God for that. You may be like the other brother that was at home and every day you're doing the right things, you're doing the right stuff. I want you to know it's not because of you, it's because of God. The second group of people that are in this room are people who right now are living, are living a right life but yet you're looking down the road into the far country and you're wondering, am I missing something? Are they having all the fun? And there is a temptation in your life today to run to the far country. I want to tell you this morning on personal experience, sin is a waste of time. The third group of people are those of you that are in the far country. And if you would be honest this morning and not be in a hurry to get out of here, you would be honest and say, you know what? I know what Larry said today. I, I am living in the midst of the pig pen. And that's why God brought you here today to hear a message that says, that's not who you are anymore. And God has given you the ability to get up, wipe off the pig stuff, and to go back home to the Father. And I want to tell you that when you go back home to the Father, He doesn't have a lecture plan for you. All He will have for you are His arms open wide, tucking His skirt and running after you and embracing you and loving you. Wouldn't that be refreshing today to feel the embrace and the love of the Father? You don't have to stay there. God has given you the ability to understand what we've said today, and he's also given you the desire to get up and to go home, to come home. And the fourth group of people are those in here today that they don't know anything about the love of the Father. And God has made a way for you to know that. And he made that way known by coming in the flesh and living and dwelling upon planet Earth where he wasn't too welcome. And ultimately going to a cross and taking your sin and my sin and being nailed to that cross, being crucified, Dying, being buried, and three days later, rising from the dead, victorious over sin. And so today, we don't have to stay here. We can come home. So I ask you today, would you come home? Would you stand with me, please, this morning?
Some of you know this beautiful song I asked Rocky to do this morning. Don't sing it for its beauty. I pray that God would grip your heart and you would feel the boldness and the love for him to step out and to come home today.